0: Romans chapter 16. Do we have volume? Yes, we do. Romans chapter 16. And we are going to continue this morning in our study in the book of Romans here as we come to the end of the book where Paul is releasing the believer to the establishment doctrines of in Romans and then also now to further uh, growth and edification in the scriptures. Verse 25 The Apostle Paul says now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever." Amen. And again, we've introduced this little, the, the end here of the book of Romans. Again, as Paul is confident in the grace of God, the grace doctrines, the doctrines learned in the book of Romans, those foundational core principles to now release you to uh, further growth, further edification, but also to let you and I understand that the power to stabilize us. The, the, the strength and the, and the fortification that, it, that we have given to us in the doctrines learned to withstand the adversary's attack. Of, and they're in verse 17 and 18 of the good words and fair speeches and uh, being able to identify the, the, the motive of those that have those good words and fair speeches, and that is they're satisfying their own appetite. And God here... Or I'm sorry, Paul, well, I guess God through Paul, he's, he he says, hey, I, God has the, the power to establish you. And, and again, not establish with that E to set you up. He has the power to do that. And that's what Romans has been all about. But now he has the power to stabilize you, the power to come in and to 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 found you and to and, and to ground you, and to root you. And what God has done is he has uh, cultivated an edification design of doctrine. He's, he's developed a set of blueprints, if you will, we were talking about last time, that when we follow them, then we and if we follow that doctrinal blueprint that God gave Paul there in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says, I'm the wise master builder, here, the use of the, of the words according to, uh, he, when we follow God's blueprint, not only do we grow in the doctrines to be able to live life as who we are, but we're able to withstand those tactics, the, the attacks, if you will, of the adversary. And he says there in verse 25, Accor- you according to my gospel. And we looked last time at that issue of my gospel, my gospel the personalization of it by the Apostle Paul. No one prior to Paul, no one really ever in Scripture, calls the gospel, the good news, theirs. Only Paul does this. Only Paul uses this language. And as he claims ownership, and he uses this language of my gospel, there's there's a tremendous reasoning here because God is using Paul... To wave that white flag, that flag of, hey, we're over here. We're over here. I'm over here working and doing over here. So the, that system of truth and the system of doctrine, the system of good news given to the Apostle Paul to therefore then give to you and I. So it goes from the Father to the Son and entrusted to the Apostle Paul, and then he's going to entrust it to you and I. Here in the passage specifically, to into the Romans, and then extension, by extension to you and I today. That use of my gospel. Uh, if you come back in chapter 2 of Romans, chapter 2, uh, again, a number of passages we saw last time that brings this good news that God has committed to Paul and it makes it unique to him. Romans 2, verse number uh, 16 he says, in the days when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And again, my, the ownership. And that's really the first thing we need to realize is this is the information committed to Paul. Never committed to anyone else prior to Paul. Never committed to, to anyone after Paul. It's given to the apostle Paul. And it's important to understand that if we're to be properly stable today, then we have to follow, we have to recognize that the information given to Paul was kept secret, never revealed to before. But also we need to realize that there's more than one gospel in the Scripture. And when Paul says, my gospel, over there in Second in, 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 uh, Timothy 2, He says that Jesus Christ was raised according to my gospel. So there's some tremendous uh, personal ownership that's there. So we need to recognize that there is more than one gospel in the scripture. There's the gospel of the kingdom. There's the gospel of peace. There's the gospel of God. There's the gospel of circumcision. There's the gospel of the uncircumcision. There's the gospel of peace. There's the everlasting gospel. You have all these different and yet Paul comes in and says, you know what, it's mine. And I lay claim to it. No one else has ever said this, has ever used this, has ever preached this information. And that really brings us to today's study. And I will try and slow down because we're, we're making this with the room is pretty empty and uh, trying not to go too fast. But the content of Paul's My Gospel is critical to see. It's it's what makes it unique to Paul. And it's very important to understand that when he says here, according to, so here's the blueprint to my gospel, that's really what the book of Romans has been all about, my gospel. If you come back to chapter 1 of Romans, Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, Uh, He says here in verse 15, So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome. Again, a refresh, just a reminder here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice, the gospel of Christ, my gospel, is the power unto salvation unto for who? All those that are going to believe. It's upon all, it's unto all, and it's upon all, them that believe. Now, that's a change in, that's a that's a component of the cross and of the gospel. As we move across here, we're going to see what we looked at a little bit last time. We'll get over there in just a minute in Ephesians 3. I'm sorry, in Ephesians 6, verse 19, where he talks about the mystery of the gospel. The content of Paul's gospel holds information that was never revealed before. Uh, You're in Romans. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So the content of Paul's gospel is going to focus in on the cross of Christ, all right? It, the gospel of the kingdom focuses in, in, in on Israel and a literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom. The gospel of the circumcision focuses in on the little flock specifically. The, you know, all of this good news, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of that's there, yes, but Paul doesn't say anything about that. And that's critically important here. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, just look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Isn't that interesting? There comes a point in Paul's early ministry where he ceases to baptize people. And that happens around that Acts 19, Acts 20 time period. And then he says, verse, finish, keep reading, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The heart of Paul's My Gospel, the substance of Paul's My Gospel, is the cross of Christ. It isn't a kingdom. It isn't a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic king. It isn't the Messiah. It isn't the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. When we look next time at the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, we're going to see that you can preach Christ according to the earthly ministry. We're not going to do that. We're, we're preaching Christ in a different manner. We're talking about the cross of Christ in a in a different uh environment, in a different viewpoint. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross. What is the cross? We're going to go out here and we're going to. Preach the cross, but what are we preaching about the cross? It's the power of salvation unto who all them that believe, and there's that issue there of, of the all word all. Look down at verse 13, at verse 23. We preach Christ, what crucified, isn't that interesting? How do we pre- we preach Christ? We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we preach him, but how do we preach him? We preach him crucified by the way, under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We're going to look in a couple weeks about the, uh, to, to God only wise. There's a wisdom plan here that he's working out by the way in chapter two, If you just draw your eye there, verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, known what? The hidden wisdom, the mystery of the gospel, then what would have happened? They would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's some aspects. uh, Come on over to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. There's some aspects of Paul's, my gospel, the central, the central, the center, the heart of it, the central focus of it is the cross of Christ. It's preaching Christ crucified. The first time in history that we're going to learn something about the merits of the cross work of Jesus Christ. No one before Paul preached that. Actually, in a minute, we're going to see in Acts 2, Peter said just the complete opposite of that. But what I want you to grasp right now and catch is the cross, the preaching of the cross, that's the central heartbeat. 1 Corinthians 15, verse, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, my gospel, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved how are you saved you're saved by the gospel which I have preached unto you if you preach another gospel then guess what you're not going to be saved. so I'm here's the issue here here's what's coming at you you want to get saved you got to hear Paul's gospel for I delivered verse 3 for I delivered unto you First of all, again, no one prior to Paul ever delivered this, that which I also received. How? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Isn't that fantastic? What did the cross mean? What, what does it accomplish? What does the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord accomplish? It accomplishes the payment for our sins. Our Christian identity, our life in Christ begins at Calvary. Notice there in verse 3 when he says he died for our sins, Paul includes himself in that. Our, me, I'm including myself there. Why? Because as Saul of Tarsus, what was he? He's a blasphemer, he's a sinner. he's, He's out there leading the rebellion, the chief of sinners. He's leading the rebellion against God's people. He's causing his nation to stumble and walk in unbelief. And he says, there was no hope for me. There's no hope for you Gentile either out there. Ephesians 2, 12, without God, without Christ, no hope. And he says, now, what do we have? We have my gospel. Good news to all that what did he die? He was he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Notice again, according to according to what the blueprint, the scriptures, the information in there. You see, now come over to Ephesians 6. As Paul, the central character the central figure what everything focuses in is what did the cross of Calvary the cross of Christ accomplish what are the merits of the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ no one ever talked about that prior to Paul now Paul's gonna come in and he's gonna give some detail give some information that says, here's what Calvary meant, means, accomplished. Ephesians 6 and verse 19, we looked at this verse real quickly last time, but here's the thought of it for this mo- the rest of this morning. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, mystery—not as in hidden and can't know it, and we've got to figure this out—but rather mystery, that information kept secret. There's some mystery. There's some mystery information here, and what Paul it was in, uh, entrusted with is this system of truth that has to do with the with the mystery of the death, burial, and resurrection, never before revealed. Now, here's what this stuff, here's what all of this means. Here's what this event meant. Because in prophecy, well, what do we have in prophecy? (laughs) We have, come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. In prophecy, the prophets predicted the fact of the Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. It told of 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 a death. That was going to happen to the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. But it never told them why. Never explained when either. If you look here at 1 Peter chapter 1. By the way, before Acts 9, how was the death, burial, and resurrection taught? That's kind of how you got to think about this. It wasn't taught. That he was including all of mankind, and, inclu- and included in that was the Gentile, the blasphemers, include- and he was going to pay for their penalty of sin, and forgiveness was going to be available to it. None of that ever. Peter never says a word of that in the early Acts period. But look at what he does say. Acts, or 1 Peter 1 and verse number 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now the grace there—that's not the dispensation of grace. You know, uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. You know that kind of thing. Grace is an attribute of God. The new covenant. Actually, all of the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, we call it, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. You guys failed. You're going to fail. You did fail. So I'm going to do it. And that's a gracious act on his. He says, I'm going to speak softly with them and be gracious with them in the wilderness. So the grace here really is the grace of the new covenant. But look at verse number 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand. So what are so what what are the what are the prophets doing? Verse 10 of what salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, okay, who prophesied about what? The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So what are they looking for? Here are the prophets. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 50, Isaiah 49, Isaiah Psalms 22, Psalm 16, Psalm 69, Psalms 45. You go back and all through scripture and there's a there's prophets or the Old Testament is teaching us about the very fact of the sufferings of Christ. That's the cross. But nothing else. Notice what they're looking for, searching what or what manner of time what does this mean, and when is it going to happen? Look at that. Peter comes in and he says, Listen, guys, you, you, you see this thing here of what salvation the prophets have inquired? They sent out there, and what are they looking for? What happened, and when is it going to happen? What does this mean? What the glory that should follow? Uh, just real quick, come back to Psalms 22. Psalms 22. Just. Psalms 22. Just notice this back here. Psalms 22. By the way, if you uh, flip back a couple of Psalms to, to chapter 16, you look at verse 10, and he says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Isn't that interesting? Thou wilt show me the path of life. That's resurrection life. Verse 10 Acts 2, Peter's going to quote it in connection with the cross and death and burial. Verse 11, there's resurrection at thy right hand. There, the, there are pleasures forevermore. Chapter 22, you start in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? We know that from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's Christ on the cross And you go all the way down to verse 21, and you see all of the agony, the mental condition of our Savior as He died. Verse 6, but I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of them and despised of all men. In verse 2, 3, and 4, and 5, He's asking, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You listen to those people, why aren't you listening to me? And I know why, because I'm a worm and not a man. And so there's the sufferings of Christ. But in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? Verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear me. The meek shall eat and be satisfied, and on you go. That's the kingdom glory. See, So the first 21 verses of Psalms 22, what are we talking about? The sufferings of Christ, the prophets inquired. Now go back to 1 Peter 1. The prophets looked into that, and they're like, okay, we read this, we see this, we know it's the Word of God, but what does it mean? When's this going to happen? And then he says, and the glory that should follow. Then you got all those chapters about kingdom glory, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all that stuff in there about kingdom glory. When's this going to happen? Now look at verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. Notice Peter never says, this is what this stuff means. He just says, the prophets were told, write it down. It's for a group of people coming later, which is what Hebrews through Revelation is going to do for them. But Peter never explains what happened, when it was going to happen, and so forth. You know who does that? Paul does that. Paul tells us the what and the when and the where and the why. Right division, the dispensational Bible study does that. And we'll see that as we go. Come back to Luke 18. So Peter, in in 1 Peter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11, and 12, Peter's telling the reader there is a limitation in the Old Testament, in in, in the prophetic information about... The death, burial, Luke 18, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. It's not there. The why isn't revealed yet. The why, the due time testifier is going to come and reveal that now there's a mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, which, by the way, is what Hebrews is going to establish for the little flock over there that are going to enjoy that new covenant. And how the new covenant can be enjoyed is because the mediator, their Messiah, died. And he died once for all, Hebrews says. So when you come back here to Luke 18, look in the earthly ministry. Because the thing is, is prior to Acts 9, no one has talked about. Now, 1 Peter is written written in in the early part of Acts and so forth. And and probably Paul isn't even on the scene yet. And if he is, it doesn't matter. Peter says what he says. But look at Luke 18. Then he, and that's Jesus, took unto him the twelve and said unto them. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ talking to, educating the twelve apostles. Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So here's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Here's Psalm 69, Psalms 22, Psalm 16, Psalm, and on you go. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. There's Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. What's the Gentile going to do? Have his sins forgiven? have the opportunity for forgiveness there? Not at all. What are they going to do? They're going to, the sufferings of Christ, he's going to be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on, and they're going to scourge him. And the Romans were good at that. At that, the Romans invented, <laughs> they took crucifixion to the highest level. They understood how to do that. Now, we know later on, At that time, his blood is also laid at the feet of the nation of Israel. But the prophets don't say that. The prophets are talking about the Gentiles. By the way, Zechariah 12, I believe it is, he will say that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And there's the accusation against Israel, but that's over in the the millennial kingdom. You see, he doesn't... He delivered... To the Gentiles. Doesn't say saving the Gentiles. Saving the sinner. Doesn't say that. Saving the blasphemer. Doesn't say. It, it just says, hey, what did the prophets talk about? They've talked about the sufferings of Christ, and here's what's going to happen. Now look at verse 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. They don't get it, they're clueless. So guess what these guys are not doing? They're not looking forward to the cross. That's what the old timers all say. That's what the old book, old writer, hey, the Old Testament saint was looking forward to the cross. No, he wasn't. He didn't understand it. He knew the event was going to happen, that event of Calvary and, and, and the bruising of the seed of the woman has been since Genesis 3.15. But yet here, what's he going to do? He, they don't get it. These guys are not looking towards the cross. They're looking at them right in the moment that their their Messiah just said, i got to go die. I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to arise again the third day. Come over to chapter 24. So that's what happens. He He goes into Jerusalem. Guess what they do? They mock him. They spitefully entreat him. They spit on him. They scourge him. And then they crucify him. Luke 24, verse 1, And upon the first day of the week, I love that, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, their Sunday morning, early, they came into the sepulcher and bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Isn't that fascinating? Verse 6, well, verse 3, And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and, said, and and as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, and said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Isn't that fascinating? The angels are here to announce His resurrection. Verse 6, He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spake unto you when He was... Yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. They remembered Luke 18. They remembered Matthew. They remembered Mark. They remembered those times. Three times he tells them, i got to go and die. And they remember that. But notice what the angels don't say. That he died... The Son of Man, verse 7, must be delivered under the hands of the sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again for the payment of all the sins of all the world. He doesn't say that. I know John 3.16. That's something different. (laughs) That's not what Calvary was about. By the way, John 3.16 has much more in it than just the placard that goes to the ball game. But look at what, even the, why? Because the angels looked into this stuff as well, and guess what was not there for them to understand? The meaning of it. Drop down. So he goes, and and he's seen, he goes up to the Father, verse 44. uh, Actually, verse 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted. And suppose that they had seen the Spirit. I mean, I could, could you imagine <laughs> that glorious body of his shows up in the middle of the room and Peter starts counting. He goes, wait a minute, we got one too many. And he goes, hey, guys. Boom. And what does he do? He sits with them. The end of verse 41, he asks a question. Have ye here any meat? And they give him a piece of boiled, uh, broiled fish and, a, and, a, and of a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. All of the details. When the Lord is hanging on the cross, the seven sayings are ticking off all of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. He gets down there and he says, I thirst. Why? To cause them to give me the vinegar so that the Psalms could be fulfilled. He says, Guys, remember what I told you? I was going to have to die. And be buried and rise again the third day. All of that is good to go. I fulfilled it all. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. They underst- they had a boom. They had their understanding open. Why? That he had to be put to death so that the remissions of sin could be preached to who? All the nations out there, but it started with who? Jerusalem. It, they, they got their understanding. In Acts 1, he spends 40 days with them teaching the things pertaining to the kingdom. They get all their understanding opening opened about their message their ministry the kingdom what were they going to be they were going to be the conduit through which the abrahamic covenant genesis 12 through which the families of the earth were going to be blessed they're the conduit they get that now come to acts 2 so in acts 1 he ascends in acts 2 peter stands up to preach peter has been given the authority he's been given the keys of heaven not literal keys but authority, whatever he binds on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever he loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. He and he alone. Now, there's a quorum issue with the rest of the little flock and with the rest of the apostles where they need the two or the three. But here Peter stands up in verse 22. By the way, and back there in Luke 24, nothing about dying for the sins of the world. He says the remissions of sins for the world beginning where, though? At Jerusalem. It's got to... The, the, The Matthew 28, going to go out to all the nations, has to happen through the little flock. (coughs) Excuse me. Acts 2, verse 22. Ye men of who? Israel. Hear these words. So who is Peter talking to? He's not talking to Gentiles. Yeah, but Rick, Gentiles were there. Maybe so, but that's not who Peter's addressing to. Actually, if Peter saw a Gentile in the crowd, he would have had the guy removed because he's not supposed to be there. He's an unclean, see? 222, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. They know who he is. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he's going to indict the nation of Israel now. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What the prophets and the law of the Moses and Psalms say? He's got to die. He's going to be buried and he's going to rise again the third day. They had that understanding opened. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's not a good thing there. You guys have taken our Messiah and you killed him with Wicked hands, unbelief, you killed him. Not by faith. You rejected the claim that about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you rejected the claims by himself that he made that he was the Messiah, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the law, the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Hope of what? Because thou will not leave my soul in hell. There's Psalm 16. Neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. What were they, what were they hoping in? Resurrection life. By the way, why was he resurrected? Look down at verse uh, thirty. Verse thirty. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with a him, uh, I'm sorry, with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither the flesh, his flesh did see corruption. Why was the Lord resurrected according to the prophets to sit on the throne of David? What is Paul? That's tremendous. Why was Christ resurrected? not to freely justify everybody, not to pay for the sins of the world, not to make it available to all of mankind, but to do what? Sit on the throne. Verse 32, this Jesus have God raised up, whereof we are all, all where, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, I let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and christ notice that notice what they did notice the indictment of peter but peter why was he resurrected to sit on his throne now hold on here look over at romans 4 just real quick why was he re- hold on to acts 2 why was he resurrected to sit on his throne but look at paul romans 4 verse 25 who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification Chapter 5, verse 8, But God committeth His love toward us, and not while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Verse 10, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. See how Peter doesn't say that. Paul comes in and says, Yeah, yes, that happened. Yes, those events are true. Yes, they're accurate. He goes into that synagogue. Come over to chapter 8 of Romans. Hold on to Acts 8. Ch- uh, chapter 8. Peter Paul goes into there and he's reasoning with them out of the scriptures, proving that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He was Messiah and you killed him and you crucified him and you're guilty and you're guilty. But you know what he did? He interrupted that program. You deserve wrath and you deserve his, the, the, uh, his, the indignation of his wrath poured out on you. But he stopped and he came over here and he said, you know what I'm going to do now? Now I'm going to take that activity, what I accomplished. And here's what that meant. And it meant now that I'm raised for your justification. The resurrection now says that I have the, the 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 debt of sin has been paid. Romans 8 verse 32 Paul goes on and says he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that fascinating? Paul says that. He spared not his son. For who? For us. He delivered him up. For who? For us. So when you come back to Acts 2, what Peter's doing here, Peter Peter is not saying anything that Paul said. Because watch verse 37, 237. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. The they here. Who's the they? Israel. The men of Israel. Verse 22. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do, Pete? We hear you. We're convicted. Pricked pricked hearts. Conviction. We're under tremendous conviction. Then Peter said unto them, Believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for your sins, and you got total free forgiveness, and you're freely justified. And he did all. None of that. What's Peter say? Peter says, you know what you got to do? You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You you drop down and look at chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye, therefore, and be blotted out, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. No present possession of forgiveness of sins. It's future for the remissions of sins. That in, When the times are that it may be blotted out, nothing of a present possession. By the way, chapter 2, verse 39, Peter goes on, For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, that's dispersed Israel, even as many as, our, as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. Save yourselves. How? Repent, be baptized, get in the little flock. But say, but believing what, though? Believing that the one that we crucified was the Messiah. He was raised to sit on David's throne. He was our king. We killed the king. And you, they're going to repent of that. By the way, do you tell people today, when you ask them, where would you spend eternity? Do you tell them, repent and be baptized? If you do, you just you just doomed them to hell. Because that's not Paul's gospel. That's Peter's gospel. Come on over to Romans 3. Romans 3. You see, folks, when Paul says, my gospel, it's his. This information given to him, but it's going to have some information in it that was kept secret. The mystery of the gospel. Romans 3, 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. What did the law do? First time, by the way. First time. No one prior to Paul is going to say, verse 19. What did the law do? It made everybody guilty. It made everybody a what? A sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Nobody ever said that. The closest thing that came to it was the Lord when he looks at the rich rich rulers and stuff and says, you need to sell all you have, and they couldn't do it. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nobody ever said that prior to Paul. Paul's saying it. Why? Because here's what this all meant. What was the law going to do? The law was designed to push them to Christ, Romans 7. The law was designed to push them that way, Romans 10. The law was designed to push them to the Savior and the Messiah. And they failed, they failed, they failed. Paul came in and said, you know what, that event there, you killed him. And what that accomplished is all of this now, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. But now it's unto who? It's unto all. And it's upon all them that believe. Why? There's no difference today. There's no difference between a Jew and a Greek. Gentile. You're all sinners. Everybody, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, the song says. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No one's ever talked about redemption being in Christ Jesus prior to Paul. Only with Paul now whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. And we went through that verse. Here's God the Father. He's got faith in the activity and the faith of His Son and His shed blood. And He says, you know what I did? All that back there in the past, in the Old Testament, when those prophets were writing and when they were doing and they were accomplishing the law of Moses and they were in complete obedience by faith, doing the things, I knew Calvary was coming and I could take care of them. That's why in Romans 4, He's gonna use blessed, he's gonna use David. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin. David did not understand how God could forgive him and say that he was forgiven for Bathsheba and the kill the murder of her husband. But yet Nathan said it was good to go. Why? Because what did he know? By, by the way, verse 26 to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness. So time ta- that are past, verse 25, time passed. This time, but but now, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You see that? You see, prior to Paul, prior to Paul, come on over. uh, We looked earlier at 1 Corinthians 15. Prior to Paul, come to 2 Corinthians 5. There's a mystery aspect. Actually, look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Again, that special message given the gospel I preached. I got it. It was given to me. I'm giving it to you how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the 3rd day according to the script Again, no one ever talked about the sinner, the outcast, the gentile, the blasphemer having his sins forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5 Here's a <laughs> Here's we learn some something about the magnitude of his death here. 2 Corinthians 5:21 This was never made known prior to Paul. This is one of those hidden meanings behind, this is how we understand what what was happening when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says, I'm not a man, I'm a worm. What does that mean? Why did did he say that? Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was made to be what? sin for who for us for the gentile for the unbeliever for the wicked for the blasphemer see only paul says 521 he was made that that creative term there he was he he was he our father forgive them for they know not what they do my god my god why hast thou forsaken you i am not a man but i'm a worm what he was made the worm the sin peter never preached that by the way Peter never got it. Paul tells us. So now when we look back in the Psalms 22 and those passages, what can we do? Because of what Paul has made known to us. That at that very moment, in those three hours of darkness on the cross, Christ paid for the sin of the world, of everybody. Three hours. So when he says, it is finished, and gives up the ghost, bows his head and gives up the ghost, He doesn't, that isn't him dying and going down into hell and and paying the sin down there. He's already paid the sin penalty. He did it consciously. He did it on purpose and so forth. Now come over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So when we get into the study uh, according to my gospel, when we get into the details of some of that hidden meanings behind the Calvary, Behind And we do that as we go into 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. We're going to see some of that as we go into those books. But yet Paul, 1 Timothy 1, he's told us why no one before him ever taught this, ever explained that now it's justification unto all and upon all them that believe. And the event of Calvary is what took care of that. Look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Christ come into the world? To save sinners. That's Paul's testimony. Because in Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they said he came into the world to save his people from their sins. By the way, he finishes, of whom I am chief. There's unbelieving Israel... Yeah, I've led the rebellion. I'm the chief. I'm the leader. Chief as in leader. Number one. First in line. I'm leading the rebellion against, in Acts, Luke writes it, that way, the way. I'm leading the rebellion against the nation of Israel, the little flock, the believer. I'm out here. I'm, the, I'm out here doing this. I'm laying waste of the 12 and, and the believing remnant then in verse 16 albeit for this cause i obtained mercy why did he obtain mercy acts 9 that in me first jesus christ might show forth a pattern of all long suffering i'm sorry might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should notice hereafter believe on him to life ever you know what paul says i'm the first guy i was leading the rebellion against I met the Lord in and, and, and Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, and I'm the first guy to tell you how to have life everlasting, and I'm talking to all mankind. And I'm the pattern for everyone after me that's going to believe. And I'm the pattern. That's why when you read Acts 7, the end of those events, and they go and lay down the garments at... The young man saw, and in Acts 8, he's consenting unto his death. Consenting, gave the authority, gave the thumbs up. They pull Stephen out. They put him out there in the, in the dirt lot. They got the rocks passed out. They, they, they've, they've taken off their coats. That's how intense they are. And they look across the room to Saul of Tarsus, and he goes, give them the thumbs up, and they go at it. Why? Verse 13 who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You go look at Matthew 12. You can blaspheme the Father and the Son, and it'll be forgiven you, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That'll never be forgiven you. And what does Paul, Saul of Tarsus do? And sitting in Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost, the picture of the nation of Israel blaspheming against the Holy Ghost, killing the Holy Ghost. They killed the Father off when they killed John the Baptist. They killed the Son off when they killed the Lord Jesus Christ. And now they killed the Spirit off by stoning Stephen. And he was consenting to it. He's a blasphemer. And he says, I did it in what? In unbelief. I did it ignorantly. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand the details of everything. But but my unbelief is what put me there. And Paul... Commenting on his past here. Now in verse 15, verse 16 says what? I'm the first guy in to talk about this new realm of information that's never been revealed before. It's been kept secret. Go back to Romans 16. But now is made manifest. And you know what? It's my gospel. It's the information given to me, entrusted to me, Paul, the apostle, and then out now to you, and Rome, believers at at Rome, believers today, believers of the body, you're equipped to go on when you stand according to my gospel. My gospel. He personalizes it. Belongs to me. And the content is the revelation of the full meaning of the cross, information that's never been revealed until Paul. If you look at verse 26, just real quick, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. That's very important here. My God, When Paul says my gospel, and when we talk about Paul's gospel, and we preach the my gospel, this is not a hobby horse, as they like to say. This isn't something that, well, you guys over there, you guys just get stuck on Paul and you can't get off. No, it's important. Why? because it's the everlasting it's the commandment of the everlasting God. God has concluded that this this is how you and I, his children, his church, his body are to be properly and fully grounded and edified. And it's going to be according to the structure of edification that starts with Paul's my gospel. So if you think about this, Here we are, laid in the foundation, and the first foundation is my gospel, the book of Romans. That's where we're at. According to, boom. Then he says, and this will be for next time, and. So there's an and. We've got an according to, and... The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. By the way, by and and. What are we doing? We're building. We're growing. We're building according to the blueprint. And what we'll do now is we'll have to pick up with the preaching of Jesus Christ next time because we're out of time almost here this morning. You have to remember, folks, it is possible to preach Jesus Christ according apart from the revelation of the mystery. You can do that. If you look real quick in chapter 15 of Romans, in verse number 8, in Scripture there's more than one way to preach Christ. That's why you have to have dispensational Bible study. That's why you have to have right division on board. Romans 15, verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. What was he? He was a minister of the circumcision. So now, when I go over and I preach, I hear them preaching another Jesus. There's, it's, it's. <laughs> I said it last week. Fruit, orange and apples. They're fruit, but they're what? They're, they don't taste the same. There's a difference there. You know that old that saying I said. You know, it's, knowledge is understanding the tomatoes of fruit. Wisdom is understanding not to put the tomatoes in the fruit salad. That's what we're doing here. In Scripture, there is more than one way to preach Christ. And again, we have to be well aware of that. That's going to be the next step. By the way, this is going to be the book of Ephesians we're going to see. This is going to be the book of Thessalonians and the issues of doctrine. And we'll see that as we, as we move forward. Okay, The commandment of God, the commandment of the everlasting God, for the establishment of the believer today has to be according to, the doctrinal blueprint that he gave to the Apostle Paul. Any other way isn't going to get the job done. Any other way is going to either send people to hell or it's going to cause great confusion in their walk as believers. So we have to be very careful with that. All right. We will pick up with that, uh, uh, the preaching of Jesus Christ, next time. Um, have a wonderful day, and we'll let's close in a word of prayer. Our dearly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to study it and look into it. And Lord, I just pray that we would take all of this to heart and to work it out, and to make it a, make it make your cross the central figure in our thinking. In your name, we pray. Amen.